Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. We recently had um, kind of a, a refresh of our uh, church's vision statement, purpose statement, and uh, the last part of it is pursuing spiritual maturity. And I think um, we'll talk about as far as being a Christian here in just a, in a minute, but when we, if you're here and you are a child of God, there's something inside of you that desires to grow spiritually. Now, whether you put feet to that or not, that's, that's kind of where you are, I think, on the uh, spiritual maturity uh, scale or growth scale, if you will, uh, because I think there's different times in all of our Christian walks that sometimes we, we desire it more and we press into it more, and there's times that we kind of get knocked off that track and we, we don't feel like per- being spiritually mature, and so we, we stop in that, in that pursuit. And so um, the Lord, I, w- I was really battling whether to kind of go through a book and that really examine some of this or to look at uh, spiritual maturity as a whole, and I was praying about it, praying about it, praying about it. Finally, I, I, I just felt compelled we need to talk about spiritual maturity. And so uh, I just want to start off with reading a few scriptures that kind of point to that. If you're at the worker meeting, some of these uh, are some of the verses that we covered then. Uh, but what I want to do through this study is kind of look at uh, the, the, the marks of maturity. And then there are also going to be some impedances to maturity. And so we might bounce back and forth. So this week we might do a mark of maturity. And then next week or the next time we do this, uh, we might do uh, an impedance to maturity. And so uh, we'll just kind of go as the, the Holy Spirit directs. But I, I hope that you come. I hope that you get every single one of these, take the notes, and uh, apply it in your life because I think this is so vital. Again, this is, we'll talk about this throughout this study, but this is the objective, right? In the spiritual life, Christ is the goal uh, that I may win Christ, is what Paul said. But the process to winning the prize is supposed to be spiritual growth or spiritual maturity. Not atrophy or apathy or plateauing or anything like that, but a process, a pursuit to Jesus Christ to become Christ-like. And so, again, uh, very, very important uh, study, I think. Again, I hope that you're here every time, if possible. Um, But I want to start out reading Ephesians chapter 4. This is the book that uh, I I was praying about, whether we should go through this book or, or, or touch on spiritual maturity. It was Ephesians, but... Um, it just starts out like this in chapter 4. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation or the, the calling wherewith you're called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring, giving ver- your very best effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace or the glue of peace. There's one body and one spirit, even as you're called and one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended upon high, let captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now that he ascended, what is it that, uh, but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens that he might fulfill or might fill all things. So this is what he did. This is is Jesus Christ. This is God. Again, uh, lying out. This is what he did. He gave to his church some people that were apostles, some that were prophets, some that are evangelists, some are pastors and teachers. And here's the reason why he gave these men to the church. For the perfecting of the saints, or the completing, the maturing of the saints, also for the work of the ministry. So the, the, the pastors, the missionaries, the, uh, the, these, the teachers, they're not supposed to be doing everything. A lot of times people have that mindset, well, I'm not going to do that because uh, the pastors are doing that or the teachers are doing that. Or That's not it. Our, our job, yes, servant leaders, we're going to, if we're saying, hey, let's go out and get the gospel of the community, we should be out there in the gospel, out there in the community getting the gospel. If we're saying, hey, we should be uh, serving one another in love, we should be serving one another in love. If we're saying you should be faithful, we should be faithful. Again, setting that example through servant leadership, but the responsibility that's given to me, that's given to teachers and, and to these, these, uh, these uh, gifts of the church is to help spiritual maturity come up, come about in each believer so that the work of the ministry can go on through the body of Christ, not only through the pastors. 
And so again, your job as a church member is to be equipped, is to be faithful, not just to assembly of the saints like we're doing tonight, but also in your personal devotion, to be equipped to walk with the Lord so that you grow up spiritually so that the work of the ministry can go on through you and through us. But that's not it, the only thing. But also for the edifying of the body of Christ. See, whenever everything goes the way that God designed it, then this is, these are the results. Maturity, work of the ministry, the, the Great Commission, and the encouragement, the edifying, lifting up the body of Christ. And here is, here is the goal. We're supposed to do this until we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Here you go. Unto a perfect man, a complete, a fully mature man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's the standard. So our, our maturity is supposed to be growing to the place that we become like Jesus Christ. Now we know that we're not going to be God. We know that we are not Christ. But we are to be like him. We are to grow spiritually, mature spiritually in a way that our lives look like Jesus Christ's lives, life. That's, that's, the, that's the point of it. Here we go. The reason why we need this maturity is that we, from this point forward, are no more children in the faith. Where, where children get tossed to and fro, back and forth, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So see, the, the importance is if you aren't, if, I aren't, if we're not growing spiritually in the Lord, if we're not uh, doing these things that we're, we're seeing here in Scripture, then we're going to remain children in the faith. We're going to remain uh, infants or adolescents, spiritually speaking. And so whenever things come along, whether it's in the world or whether it's in uh, the, the devil's schemes of false doctrine, we can be blowed back and forth. I, I, I hate to say that there's been years that I have experienced certain people um, that and members of this church that come and ask questions, well, what, is it okay if, if, if this, is, and, it's, and it's a doctrinal problem, or I was listening to Brother so-and-so on, on YouTube or on TV, and, and boy, it was just so great. He was saying that, and I, and, and I know he's a false, doctor, uh, a false teacher. I'm like, oh my goodness, no, don't listen to him. You know, don't listen to that. And, and, and the reason why maybe these things, again, aren't picked up or maybe they're swayed by those men or those doctrines is because, again, still uh, children in, in faith and in, in spiritual maturity. But he goes on and says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in him in all things. This is, how it, this is how it comes, through the truth being spoken in love, which is the head, even Christ. So, again, that is the point of our spiritual maturity is to grow up to this full, fully mature spiritual person that resembles Jesus Christ. And he's the head of the church from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body of itself, edifying of itself in love. You say, what in the world does that mean? That means that just like our bodies, he has put the body of Christ together in every joint and every ligament, every, every tendon, every muscle, Every part, every member of the body is intricately put together so that we strengthen the whole body. And it only happens when each part is effectively doing what it's supposed to be doing, designed to be doing. That's why in our new members class we talk about using your spiritual gifts, finding a place to serve. Because whether you're a toe or whether you're a toenail or whether you're a finger or a fingernail, You've got a purpose in this local body, in the overall body of Christ. And if you're not here, and if you're not working effectively the way that God has gifted you and designed you, then the body of Christ is not going to make increase. Amen. That's what it says. Maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That's the only way the body of Christ, together, that we are going to grow up, that we're going to be edified, that we're going to be strengthened. I mentioned it recently. I mean, this is a great group on a Wednesday night, but if you walked in here and there was one other person in here aside from you, the first thing that you would think of when it became 7 o'clock, the first thing that would come to your mind is this. Well, where's everybody at? Where is everybody? Why, why does that happen? Why, why does that question come to mind? Where, where's everybody else? Because, again, that's the design of God. When the body meets, the body comes together. It's, it, it, the, the, the truth is spoken in love, 
and, and, and each member as it can uses its gifts and edifies each other and works and it builds itself up. And so when we walk out of here, even though we may be convicted or challenged or, or whatever the case may be, we walk out of here strengthened and edified. Because again, it's the design of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, it's on the screen. Be ye therefore perfect or complete, absolutely mature in every way, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Again, He's whole. He's complete. He lacks nothing. It, spiritually speaking, God is whole in every sense of the word. Jesus said, you need to be complete spiritually, mature spiritually, just like your Father is in heaven. We'll get to some of those things, the, those principles that Jesus was teaching about uh, that are marks of maturity in Matthew chapter 5. That, that's before that statement that he just made. But in Romans chapter 8, it also says this. I shared this again at the worker meeting. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And listen to verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, God knew who, who, everyone who would accept or reject him. Those he did foreknow, he also did predetermine or predestine to be conformed, shaped, formed into the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Again, that is the predestined plan of God for every single child of God, is to be shaped and formed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's it. So what is the purpose of my life? The purpose of your life is to be like Jesus, to, be, to grow up, and once you're saved, to grow up spiritually and to, to live a life that reflects the life of Jesus Christ. Because when we do that, everything else falls in line. Everything. The, the Great Commission, uh, helping the poor, uh, giving, serving, loving, all of the other things. When our life is mirroring the life of Jesus Christ, then, then the will of God gets accomplished. But Scripture is explicit with several things. And the fact that we are made complete in Christ, the fact that this is a process of our lives, to be growing into the fullness of Christ, again, is very clear. We're to be growing more Christ-like, moment by moment, day by day. Again, this is the process that we call spiritually maturing, the process of sanctification, the process of God setting, apart, setting us apart as His and making us like Him. So again, to be clear, the maturing process is the process by which we are being, becoming more like Jesus Christ. You know, the, the sad reality is, I want you to hear this too, that there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians today and they try to carnalize. They try to cast this shadow. And maybe they, they cast this shadow ignorantly, but they cast a shadow on the holiness of Christ. The, the, when they look at the life, the gospels of Jesus Christ in scripture, they try to, they try to carnalize him, his holiness, his deity. And in doing so, they, they cast this shadow over that. And, and, and the reason why that this happens is because it seems like some of them only want to spotlight or highlight his humanity. What I mean by that is, is, is they want to say, look, Jesus was called a, 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 a drunkard and a glutton. Jesus was around sinners. Jesus was this and, and, and that. And, and they, they cast the shadow on his holiness and his deity and only highlight the carnality that, that is a perceived carnality. And, and, of course, we know that Jesus wasn't carnal at all. In the sense of spiritually speaking, again, he was, he was in the fleshly body, but he was not walking in the flesh, obeying the, the, the will of the flesh. But again, they, they highlight his reputation among the religious. What was his, reg, uh, his reputation among the religious? He's a bigot. He's, he's a glutton. He's a sinner. They do this for many reasons. And I know, unfortunately, many people who do this, even people who are in position of pastors. Among many of the reasons why they, they say Jesus hung out with people who drank, Jesus was called this, Jesus was called a sinner. The reason why they point this out among many things is to justify a worldly or carnal effort at living a life that is called Christian. They say that you are not Christ-like if you aren't going into the world and living like the world because that's what Jesus did. And that's an absolute lie. That's a false doctrine. If somebody says to you, listen, I, I think Jesus, if he was here, he would walk right into that bar 
And he would sit right down to those people. And he would start drinking with them so that he could, he could win them for the Lord. I would say that's an absolute lie. First of all, there's no such thing as a bar in the Bible. A lot of times we, we, we want to take Jesus and make him fit in our 21st century mentality and lifestyle and say, I think Jesus would do that. And disregard every bit of scripture that's in here that talks about his holiness and talks about his righteousness and talks about his, his purity. If somebody's telling you or you're listening to somebody on, on YouTube or on TV that's saying, man, it's, there's no problem with doing this. Listen, don't listen to people who are trying to justify a worldly carnal, carnal effort of living and clothing it in this term, Christianity. Again, on the opposite end of the spectrum, those who do just the opposite are doing a, a similar injustice. Those who only look at, 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 at legalism and, and, and the Bible says this, 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 yes, it says this, this, absolutely, it does say that. But what they do is they also dismiss the humanity of Christ. And in that effort, they end up making the Christian life a matter of legalism. It's do this, 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 but forget those in need. Forget loving as he loved. Yeah, he sat down next to a woman who was an adulterous woman living with a man that she wasn't married, married five times before. Absolutely. He sat down there and he told her the gospel, gave her the gospel. Absolutely. He went into a sinner's house and ate with them publicans to give them the gospel but nowhere do we see that he was hanging out at that that place where adultery was going on when the woman was cast at his feet they we caught this woman in adultery he wasn't no he wasn't participating in their sinful worldly lifestyles again these people that only focus on the legal aspect much like the pharisees they disconnect themselves from the lost as much it's possible thinking that they're, they're better. And that's not what Scripture means when it says come out from among them be separate. It doesn't mean that we don't, man, every single one of us should have lost people in our lives that we are connected to, that we are trying to reach for Jesus Christ. Whether they're a coworker or a neighbor or something like that. I'm not talking about these are the people that I, I spend all of my time with and, and refresh. I heard somebody recently say that, man, uh, you know, this is what you need to be doing. And that's because that's what Jesus did. That, that, that's absolutely not what Jesus did. Jesus spent most of his time with 12 guys. And he would often, the Bible says, retreat to prayer in time with the Father. But in his life, in his ministry, from, from, from place to place, he would absolutely go with, with a purpose. And the purpose was the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And he tried to teach his followers that all along the way. So again, when they went to go get meat, and he's sitting down talking to this Samaritan woman at the well, they were like, what are you doing? We got you some food. I'm not hungry. Who gave him food? My, meat's the, my meat is to do the will of the Father. Again, Jesus was teaching them all along the way. But I, I put this out on social media today, just something the Lord put on my, my heart today. And um, it's this. Remember that it was the religious legalist that called him a sinner. It was the people who were only looking at, at what they, they had interpreted as holy and right. They were legalists. They, they did not see the gospel, they didn't see the grace, they didn't see the spirit of the law of liberty. They didn't see any of those things. They only saw this. And so because they only saw that, when Jesus was trying to reach those sinners, again, the physician's not for the, the whole, he's for the, the sick. That's what Jesus said. When they saw him trying to reach these people, they are the ones that called him sinner. But it was those that he was trying to reach, those sinners, sinners like us that actually recognize his deity, his godliness, his holiness. And not only that, but they, they saw the distinction between who he was and who they were. There was a difference. And it was, the difference was very clear in what they called him. They called him Lord. They called him Son of God. They called him Master. They called him Rabbi. They called him Messiah. They, those who were sinners and encountered Jesus Christ and realized with their, their lives open, they realized he's different 
He's God. So powerful, so holy, so, so, uh, this is, this is the, 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 uh, the hypostatic union of, of Christ. So, that, that means he's 100% God, 100% man. So relatable to sinners that he could sit down at, at, a, at, a, at a well, that he could, he could tell a, a publican or a tax collector to come down from a tree, I'm going to go to your house today. So, so relatable to, to humanity and, and so desiring to save those that are lost, yet so holy that when he speaks, I, I am he, they fall back from the power in his words. So, again, 100% on earth, God, 100% fleshly man. And, and, and again, I want to make that distinction because this is all a part of, of this spiritual maturity of who we're supposed to be as, as followers of Christ, growing up to the fullness of the measure of, of Christ, the stature of Christ. He was 100% fleshly man, but that fleshly man doesn't mean that he was sinful or that he was given to fleshly desires of man, but that he was clothed in human flesh with all human faculties and all human feelings. What does that mean? That means that he ate, he went to the bathroom, faculties, he slept. But he also had feelings, feelings like us, to weep over the loss of a friend, to weep over the hurt of the, that friend's family. He, he, he was flesh, but he was, he was not sinful. God and man, in his divinity, in his godliness, he wasn't removed from that reality of humanity. And in his humanity, he wasn't removed from holiness. That's so important for us to remember. Again, I, I have pastors that I have encountered and know, and, and it's just a, a tragedy. I, I heard it in the early uh, 2000s when the, growth, the church growth movement was really getting kicked off and the purpose-driven everything was, was being rolled out and, and the seeker-friendly movement was, was in full steam and, and people were, were running to churches by the droves because the church was basically taking on the motto, if we don't become like them, then we can't win them. And so everything about the churches became very carnal-minded, and so churches became full and overflowing, and there's a resurgence of this in some ways, and then there's also, in another way, a very kickback against this movement. It's interesting to see the dynamic in, in, in the, the Bible-based uh, Christianity today because there's a, there's a great desire, even, even there's, a, there's a wave in the millennial generation of people wanting sincerity and wanting truth and want authenticity. There's also a great movement still of churches being filled with carnal people and being pleased as carnal people. Not, not, not seeing them all converted, but just, we're just gonna have a cool event and have as many people come as possible. But again, it's so important for us to remember that Jesus Christ was human and he was God. Human and holy. And again, that is our goal. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Christ-likeness. Just as Paul said, Paul said this, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not me. It's Christ living in me. In the life that I now live in this fleshly body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. Paul laid it out there. This is what our life is to look like. It's to look like before I had Jesus Christ, before I had faith in Christ, I would decide what I wanted to do. I live my life based off the rules that I accepted for myself. I was the Lord of my life. I was the one calling the shots. I was in the driver's seat. But when I accepted Christ, when I, was, when I got saved, when I put my faith in the Son of God, what happened is I was crucified. I was, I was put to death. No longer me living for me, but Christ living in me. And so now the life I'm living in this fleshly body is only by faith in Jesus Christ. That's my life. That's what it looks like now, he says. I used to go about and say, you know what? I hate Christians. I hate the church. I hate this movement. And so I'd go out and I would say, you know what? I'm going to torment them. I'm going to torture them. I don't care if it's ladies or children or men alike. I don't care. I'm going to haul them back to prison and I'm going to see them in prison. I'm going to see them stoned. I'm going to see them put to death. I was doing what I want to do. 
That's what pleased my flesh. That's what, that's what Paul enjoyed. Maybe among many things, but that's what he enjoyed. He enjoyed the prominence. He had a reputation. He was a Pharisee. He was a purebred Jew. He was all those things. And, and, and so Paul lived for Paul. What is concerning today when we're talking about spiritual maturity is when there are people like you and I, in this, people in this room, us in churches all over the place, that we call ourselves Christians, yet we still call shots for our life. We gave that ride up when we accepted Christ. When we said, I trust you, he said, the, the Bible says this, you're no longer yours for you're bought with a price. We gave it up. We gave up our rights. We gave up our life. We gave up control. We gave up the, the headship over our life and gave it to Jesus Christ. We are no longer able to say, I don't know if I feel like doing this or not when it comes to obeying the Lord. We gave that right up. Now we realize that that battle still it, it, it exists in our life because we, we, we have it, right? Paul said it in Romans chapter 7. Sometimes I do what I don't want to do. Sometimes I don't do what I want to do. There's this battle inside me. The inner man delights after the law of God, but with the flesh I obey the law of sin, and I see this war among my members. It's raging. It's pulling against each other. Paul realized that the battle was still real, but it doesn't take away the fact that we no longer have a right to say, I don't feel like doing this, what God said. We, we don't have that right. So when we do, when we say, I know the Bible says this, but I don't really feel like going. I don't really feel like doing I don't really feel like this. I don't, when, we, when we start doing that, then it's a very clear violation of who, not only who we are, not only what we do, but who we are. And not only that, it's an absolute hindrance to this process of spiritual maturity. Which again, is the purpose of the path of our life. To grow up to the measure of size. So every time that we say, I don't feel like doing this. I'm this, I'm that. I would rather do this, I would rather do that. I don't feel like this, I don't feel like that. Again, Jesus had feelings as a person. He was humanity, remember that? But he was 100% God, Is holy. Paul said, I'm dead. The life I live in the flesh is now for Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, in Philippians, he would say this, for me to live is Christ. I have no other life other than Jesus. To die would be gain. But as long as I'm living, it's, it's about Jesus. That's the concerning thing today. We have somehow, somewhere, this doctrine for, for Christians, even Baptists, has permeated to, to say that somehow God is is okay. He, his grace is good. His, 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 his covering us. His mercy, that's true, and His mercy is covering us. But somehow we can say, I'm just going to abuse it just a little bit, and I hope that God's okay with it. I expect that God's okay with it. Wow. No. Our life is Christ. It's by His grace. It's by His mercy. And, and to step outside of, uh, of that and say, I just don't feel like this is trampling under our foot, not only the grace and mercy, but the blood that was shed to purchase us. We gave up our lives. We gave it up. So if you've been a Christian for a while and you're still in that place where you're saying, I just don't feel like doing this today. I don't feel like doing this. And I don't feel like going. I don't feel like, I feel, 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 you know? We need to remember we gave that right up. And every time that we give into that, we give into the flesh. And every time we give into the flesh, we stop the process of spiritual maturity, which is the purpose of our life. Satan will try to do everything he can. He'll throw everything he can at us to, to, to get us there. He'll doctrines, other Christians, hey, this person doesn't do this. Hey, this person doesn't come out. This person, this, whatever. He'll do anything and everything. But our our calling, remember what he said? About our vocation, wherewith you were called, your calling. It's about Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, wherefore henceforth, from this point forward, we don't know any man after the flesh. What? Paul said something's changed in our lives. Though we have known Christ after the flesh, we don't know him anymore like that. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed, behold, all things have become new. Again, he was talking about the spiritual change that happens in every single believer's life 
We used to live in the flesh. We used to know people in that type of fleshly relationship because we lived like them. But we don't know people like that anymore because we've been changed. We've been transformed. We're a new creature. We're a spiritual being now. Clothed in a fleshly body. I think we need to be careful in our pursuit of Christ-likeness. Our pursuit of spiritual maturity. To make sure that we don't seek only after the human side of Christ. And say, well, well, you know, Jesus, no, he was a man, and we need to be careful not to do that only. Because the danger in that is becoming more like a lost man, a fleshly man, looking like, living like a lost person. And I think that's, that's the tragedy that's happened with many people who have done that. Well, I think if, if Jesus were here today, he would walk right into that club and he would, he would hang out with them and, and he would cut a rug with them and, and he, would, he, would, he would do all these things. He would be just like them so that he could win them. The danger in that is becoming like a lost person and not like Christ. You see that? The, 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 the argument doesn't float. If you become like them, then you become, you're becoming like lost people. You're not becoming like Christ. Who he said, be holy because I'm holy. Again, I'm not talking about a legalistic because, again, there's a, there's a similar danger in that. Because if we go to this side of, of legalism and say, you know, this, 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 I'm holier than you, we become disconnected from those in need and we become more like a Pharisee who was just as lost as the woman caught in adultery. But they were hardened. They were blind. We become more like them than we become Jesus, friend of sinners, more like him. So I want to spend several weeks, I don't know what it's going to take, and tonight uh, I'm not going to be able to get through all these scriptures, but um, I want to look at what spiritual maturity is and what it isn't, the marks and the impedances. So the first thing tonight is going to be the marks of maturity. The marks of maturity. Before you can bear the marks of maturity, you've got to first have the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 says that you're not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he is not a part of Christ. And if Christ is in you, then the body's dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Again, if you are a child of God, you have the Spirit of God inside of you. If you don't have the Spirit of God inside of you, you're not a child of God. That's what Paul was saying. They're, they're conjoined. You don't have to do something extra to get the Spirit. There's a false doctrine out there that says that once you get saved, you say, I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You've got to do these other things to receive the Holy Spirit of God in your life. Absolute false, false. The Bible just said this, that if you are Christ, then the Spirit of God is in you. And if the Spirit of God is in you, then you are Christ. But if you don't have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God in you, you don't have any part in Jesus Christ. So how are you going to come down and say, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now I'm a child of God. Now I've got to do something else to get the Spirit. No, 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 no. When you're a child of God, the Spirit of God is in you. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us what happens in that. In verse 13, it says, in whom you also trusted. Talking about Jesus. After you heard the word of truth. What's the word of truth? The gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after you believed, you were sealed. After you believed, you were sealed. It's this process that the Holy Spirit does. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What is the Holy Spirit? Who is he? Not only our comforter, comforter, but he is the earnest. Everybody, most adults in here know what earnest money is, right? It's guarantee money. It's guarantee. You, it's, he is the guarantee of our inheritance. That's what the scripture says. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. What's the purchased possession? The church, us. It's going to be, it's going to be brought out of this world one day. With the praise of his glory, Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. They that are Christ, they've crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. You hear that again? Remember we talked about a while ago, we gave up our rights to ourselves. We gave up our right to say, I feel like this. I don't feel like going this. I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like this. I know the pastor says this, but I don't feel like, I know the church is doing this, but I don't feel like doing this. We gave that up because it says, again, they that, have cri that are Christ, what they did is they crucified their flesh. And they got rid of all of their own desires and all of their own pulls to what they wanted. They gave it all up because it was crucified with Christ. That's what it says. And so he says, 
because we've crucified the flesh, because we are no longer living for ourselves, because no longer, our lives are no longer dictated by what we feel or what we want, but our lives are dictated by the Spirit of God living inside of us, by the Lordship of Jesus Christ over us, if we live in the Spirit, then we should walk in the Spirit. That's the way it is. That's what our lives should look like. What does walking in the Spirit mean? What, what does walking in the Spirit mean? Again, you can walk in the flesh. Galatians 5 says before that, you can walk in the flesh, or you can walk in the Spirit. What's the difference? Well, does it mean like if I'm walking in the Spirit, then I'm just, oh, I feel so spiritual. No. <laughs> I feel, I just feel bad. I feel fleshly. No, it's not, it's not like that. To walk in the Spirit means to walk in fellowship with the Lord. To walk in fellowship with the Lord means that you walk in an obedience to the Lord out of the right heart. That's it. Where do we find what God wants us to obey? His word. So to walk in the Spirit is to obey the Lord's word in the right spirit, in the right heart, in the right motives. It's to walk in the Spirit. To walk in the flesh then it's to not do that. So you can actually be in the flesh, do what God's word says to do, but with the wrong heart. Do you get that? I think the Lord's calling you. <laughs> Just letting you know. He's telling, he's trying to tell you. Get it? You can say, I, I did what God told me to do, but have the wrong heart. And that's just as in the flesh. As somebody who says, I'm not going to do what God want, want me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. I know I'm supposed to be there. I know I'm supposed to do this. I know I'm supposed to be like that. But I'm not going to do it. Flesh. That's walking in the flesh. Same thing as saying, fine, I'll go. I'll do it. I don't want to. You're going to walk in the flesh. I mean, that's why people have said before, you're better off just not doing it if that's your heart. And you're worse off regardless. <laughs> You know, if you're the child of God, you're supposed to be walking in the Spirit. And so there's only one option for that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, if you didn't be risen with Christ, seek those things that are above, where Christ sat on the right hand of God. Set your affection, that word affection means your mind, your thoughts, point your life, your, your everything to things above, not earthly things, because you're dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. So again, very clearly, this is what our lives look like. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. Hereby know that we dwell in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. So it's an obvious point that someone must be saved to have the spirit of God inside them in order to grow spiritually, in order to be on a path to spiritual maturity. Now, I, I want to share this first mark with you tonight because uh, I think it's important. I don't know if we'll get through all the scriptures, but uh, I'm going to just take a few minutes. The first mark is humility. So in this path of spiritual maturity, of spiritual growth, again, first of all, you've got to be born again. You've got to have the Spirit of God in you. You've got to, uh, you've got to be uh, crucified. You've got to stay, keep those members of your flesh mortified. You've got to stay walking in the Spirit, which again means obeying the Word of God with the right heart, with the right motive. You've got to do all those things, and it's in that path not walking in the flesh, not saying, I'll go to church, I'll share the gospel, I'll give, I'll, I'll, I'll serve, I'll do, but I don't want to do it. Flesh, not, you cannot grow spiritually like that, living a life like that. You cannot mature spiritually like this. The only way to grow spiritually is to live a life of obedience to God's word with the right heart. That's the only way. And so one of the marks of maturity, when somebody is, is living this life, obedient to the Lord and in the right heart, something that becomes obvious and it, becomes, it starts to grow and it starts to flourish, it starts to, uh, to be evident in their life is humility. He, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul said unto me, whom, who am less than the least, I'm, I'm less than the very least of all the saints. Paul said, I am nobody. It's to me that grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. Paul said, I'm the greatest sinner 
in all of humanity. And when Jesus came to the world to save sinners, I was the bottom rung. I was the lowest of the low. I was the worst sinner the world has ever seen. Paul had a, an understanding. Paul had a view of his life. Paul had a humility about who he was. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, to, to write the same to, things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it's safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evildoers, beware of concision, of the concision, those who, who preach about circumcision being required for salvation. We are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in our own flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any man think that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. He's saying, listen, look, we have nothing in, in ourselves. But if there's somebody that comes along and says, hey, I've got a lot of stuff. I've got a lot of stuff to boast about. Paul says, look, if we're going to do that, if we're going to play that game, I can boast more in the flesh. And this is where he kind of gives his pedigree. Circumcised the eighth day, stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law. I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He said, if you look at my life, the life that, that I was living for myself, it was a, a religious person. And I loved that religious life. And I was, I, I mean, I could sit here and boast with them. All these people that are requiring circumcision for salvation, they can't boast in anything. I can outboast them all. But look what he says. But the things that were important to me, the things that were gained to me, the things that I was living for before, those I've counted lost for Christ. Yea, I, and I count all things for but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. My life is no longer, what I thought was important for is no longer important. Now, who is important and what is important is Christ and his kingdom. Be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, be made conformable unto his death. I want my life to look like his life so that I can have the power that is in the resurrection revealed in my life. And so if I have to go through suffering, if I have to go through all those things, then let it be. Let my life and my death mimic his. If by any means I might attain the resurrection of the dead, not as though I'd already attained either were already perfect. I'm not saying I've already got to this place of completion. I'm not saying I've got to this point of maturity, but I'm following after it. If that I may apprehend that which also I'm apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended. I'm not, I've not come to this place where I've got everything together, where I've got everything spiritually, mature, maturity speaking. I don't have those things yet. I, don't, I haven't come to that place, but this is what I do. I forgot the things, I'm forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth those things which are before. I'm pressing towards the mark of the prize of the high calling, the upward calling of Christ. Let us therefore as many be perfect, be thus minded. If, any, if anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. He goes on to say that there are those who are enemies of the cross, whose God is their belly. They serve themselves. He says, listen, that's not the life that we're living. Knowing that you haven't arrived and remembering that, that you haven't arrived is key to spiritual maturity. Keeping grace in sight is vital for spiritual maturity. Remember when I was talking about grace? What happens when we say, I, I just don't feel like doing this. I don't want to do this. I, I know that if I don't go or if I don't do or if, I don't, if I'm not like this, that God's grace will cover me, his mercy. That is not keeping grace in sight. That's trampling grace underfoot. That's not the life we've been called to as a child of God. Keeping grace in sight is vital for spiritual maturity. It's part of being humble. But there's a difference between being bold in the faith, which Paul was, was bold in the faith, and he talked about it, having a great boldness of speech in 2 Corinthians 3, and talking about having bold speech in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Ephesians chapter 3, whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith in him. Paul had confidence and faith. He had boldness in Christ, confidence in Christ. Philippians chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 1 says that faith is the substance, it's the assurance, the confidence of things that are expected. 
doesn't mean that you can't have assurance in what you believe because Paul said, I know who I have believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed in him against that day. I know, I have no question about it. Paul would tell the Romans that being fully persuaded, Abraham knew that God would perform what he promised. Those things are different from being prideful and arrogant. Prideful and Pride and arrogance is something of the flesh. And it's those things, those statements that are made that I've been saying all night. I don't think God is going to have a problem if I don't do this. I, I don't feel like that's pride and arrogance. That's not humble uh, humility and submission. You say, you know, that, that, I, I don't like that. Listen, sometimes it's the boldness of disregard for God's word. God's authority, God's order, that spiritual immaturity is revealed in. This boldness in the disregard. Sometimes it's the absence of spiritual exercise, like praying and being in God's word, seeking godly, godly counsel. But the clear presence of fleshly, prideful selfishness and decision-making reveals this spiritual immaturity. Again, make no mistake, humility and submission go hand in hand. When Paul says that he was the worst of sinners, when Paul talks about he hasn't attained, when Paul talks about these things of, of, of being the least, less than the least of all the saints, it's because Paul had this view of, God, of Christ. He had this, 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 this vision of the grace that was in his life. And because of these things, he stayed humble. He, he got out and said, at some point in time, says, he said, I'm, I'm talking like a madman. I'm boasting in all these things. And, and, and even here, he says, look, if we're going to play this game of boasting, I could boast as well. But Paul had a view of his life in Christ. And what that life in Christ, this, 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 this example is that he was humble and submitted to Jesus Christ. Humility is a mark of maturity. Again, you can look in James chapter 4. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God goes down and it says this humble yourselves in the sight of the lord and he'll he will lift you up first peter says similar things it says be clothed with humility because god resists the proud but look what he does to those who are humble he gives grace to them those who are those who are humble and those who are submitted god says i'm going to help i'm going to give you grace but those who are proud and those who are in the flesh god says you're kind of on your own it doesn't mean that we lose our salvation. But he gives grace to those that are humble. So he says, humble yourselves then in the sight of the Lord that he may exalt you in due time. Again, humility is knowing who you are in comparison with Christ. Knowing who you are in Christ. It's living life from that perspective of faith and grace, knowing that we are nothing he is everything. When we get to a place where we live in humility and submission to the Lord and his will, every day, that's the goal, then that's a mark of maturity. If you're struggling back and forth in your life where you're saying, I, I, I don't want to do this and I feel like I'm, God will be okay, if, if, if this is where you're at, instead of saying every day, Lord, I'm yours. My flesh is not really feeling like doing these things, but I know I'm no longer mine. And so I'm humble and submitted before you. I know I, I got upset about this and really don't want to do this, but Lord, I'm yours. And I'm, I'm, I'm humble before you and I'm submitted before you. It's a mark of maturity. Again, it's recognizing your own unworthiness and still understanding your, your calling and your, and your standing in Christ. It's confidence and dependence in Christ alone. It's a humbled, submitted position with this knowledge that you're living a, Christ, living a life in Christ that is humble and submitted. First mark to, uh, in, in this study is humility. I want to ask you tonight, is this mark in your life? Is humility, again, coupled, it's always coupled with submission. Is it in your life? Does your life look more like you're still having a tug of war with doing and making decisions and, 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 and being 
who you want to be and doing what you want to do? Or does your life look like a daily submission, a daily humble submission to the Lord who purchased you with the blood shed on Calvary? Does it look like a life that keeps grace in view and doesn't trample grace underfoot? If not, tonight would be a good night to start allowing it to be. It's from this molded position, moldable position of humility and submission that he can form you and he can grow you and he can use you. Remember, predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's only through humility and submission. Again, if, if, if you feel like that, man, this mark's not my life, you can come tonight and say, Lord, I need that. God, help me to keep grace in view and help me not trample it underfoot. God, I feel like that I've been walking in the flesh so much. I feel like that I, I end up doing what I want to do. I, I don't consider you. I don't consider your word. I, if I don't feel like doing this, then I don't do it. If I don't want to do this, then I don't do it. If I get upset and, and, and then I let my emotions dictate my decisions versus staying submitted to you and yielded to you. Just talk to him and ask him for help. Humble yourself. Remember what he said? Humble yourself. He gives grace to those who do. God will help you if that's the sincere desire of your heart. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, I feel like that's what I'm trying to do. I realize that I'm a horrible sinner. But man, every day I want to live for Christ. I want to do everything he wants me to do every single day. I do feel those feelings of of wanting to do what I want to do, but man, I really try to, and sometimes I don't do it 100%, but I really want to do this all the time. And every day I'm, I'm trying to yield and submit to the Lord. If that's you, maybe you just come tonight and say, Lord, help me stay on this path. I want to be mature. I want my life to look like you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. I pray you just move now in this invitation. Lord, help us respond rightly. Lord, I've already talked to you. I've already... Um, Lord, just laid down before you, and I do it before the congregation tonight, Lord. Uh, just with passion, want to live a life that's honoring to you. I pray that would be every single one of us. Lord, there's no telling what you would do with Trinity Baptist Temple if we would all have this mark in our life of humility and submission. I think you would do above all that we could ask or think. So, Lord, just move now, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name.